Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Welcome to another edition of uh, Word in Your Ear. And we are absolutely delighted to be joined by David Mitchell. And uh, David, you are, uh, I think, somewhere in Ireland. Is that right? Where, where about um, I am indeed, Mark. Yeah. Hard to uh, tell I'm, from the backdrop. Yeah. Uh, that's right. It's by a carefully curated blank wall. Uh, I'm in County Cork, West Cork, the bottom left-hand corner, if you know this part of the world at all. It's I do. really nice, although it's a bit of a misty day today. Uh, but uh, it, it's yeah, it's a beautiful spot and rather good for writing, and and it's got a vibrant music scene as well. And I should but, imagine lockdown hasn't really affected you. I mean, most most writers who spend you know eight days in front of a laptop at home have not been. <laughs> life has been very different during uh, the disturbance. Is that the case with you? Uh, uh, yes, um, it's so many things all at once, isn't it? Uh, it's both, as you say, um, uh, it's not a huge difference between how things were and how things are, yet everything has changed as well. Both of those are true, and I'm still sort of processing it. I mean, I move at quite a slow speed anyway, I think mentally. It'll take me years to really understand what's been happening this year, but maybe I'm not alone in that it's so uh, i'm sure i'm sure you're not alone in that yeah yeah we well look you've got a um you know your new book um utopia avenues is a major departure from uh, the terrain of uh, the bone clocks and cloud actors you know it's a, it's a book about a, a fictional uh, rock and roll band in 1967 so first what what was it, what attracted you to the idea of why did you want to write about a, a rock band in the first place what was what was the the allure well, I know, like uh, like you, Mark, and you, David, I've, I've had a lifelong relationship with music. I think most of us do. Um, and and it's a fascinating relationship. What is this stuff? How does it work? I mean, you read a book about it, Mark, uh, which I read, David's and I'm afraid... Five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair play to you both, but um, how does it work? What is it? How do songs come to occupy this key part, this central part in our in our consciousness that uh how can there be so many things at the same time that they're, they're kind of their windows their places where we store a part of ourselves their mirrors where we see a 
uh, an enhanced version of ourselves. They are wellsprings of 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 joy, uh, of energy. They they are legal drugs. They alter our mental states just by listening to a yeah. song. How does that work? So um, novels are many things, but they are also curiosity satisfaction engines. So I built this one to try to explore these questions. Do you find also that it's not just songs, is it? It's records. Yeah. Because the thing about records that always fascinates me is we got them inside us. You know, we we heard them many, many years ago. We've heard them millions of times. We know Mm. them better than the people who made them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're more familiar with them. That and that's a unique relationship, isn't it? You, you don't have that with a book or a you know or a movie, do you? Now you mention it, no, uh, not not as clearly. Uh, we have fragments of books and fragments of films yeah. to stay with us forever. But actually, an album that we would have bought in the seventies. Uh, with a hard-earned pocket money that we saved up for and cycled into town to buy from the record shop and we shopped around to get the one where it was 50p cheaper here than it was anywhere else, then cycled back and then played it. Uh, And that was the first play of numerous plays because we didn't have so many. Uh, Music wasn't kind of this almost free utility service, which it is now. Um, uh, Yeah, we internalised every single bar, every single note. Yeah, and and also it telegraphs that particular time in your life so perfectly, doesn't it? Unlike movies and things, it's about a little soundtrack to, to what you were doing. It transports you back to the person you were when you first bought that record. Person and the circumstances on that first magic morning when you got home from town on your bike and you put it on your parents' stereo and you played it and suddenly you play it now and you're back there. You can you it it it. it it's it's a time machine. It stores details about the room that you played. It's just that the tactile experience of lifting the stylus and just placing it on the vinyl and and and, and that sort of noise it makes. You remember it all just from you playing it now. And, and and that's more than half our lifetimes ago. That's most of our lifetimes ago. Uh, how does that work? Isn't that amazing? I like what you said about albums, David. Um, in particular you'd both know more about this than me but you might agree that sergeant peppers is interesting for all sorts of reasons but one of them is it may be heralds the beginning of the album as an art form not just as a container of songs as studio tracks but as a journey as an art form in its own right with a beginning a middle and an end and uh, development rather like a novel uh, and, and 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 this also makes the album say astral weeks more important than the individual songs, which are still very fine, but the experience of the album is is particular and special. Well, I think in both those cases, Sergeant Pepper and Astral Weeks are both good examples of this. You play them like singles, effectively. Mm. You don't think, I'm going to listen to Madame George, or yeah. I'm going to listen to yeah. B. No, you play them in their entirety. Yeah. You play them yeah. in their entirety. Yeah. And, and if you too, particularly take something like, uh, like um, Sergeant Pepper, it's really upbeat. It's surprisingly upbeat. Yeah. It whips yeah. along, you know, even within you, without you. Nothing, you're not looking at your watch at any point in that record, you know. And if, if you hear the end of one of those tracks, in your mind, you're already playing the beginning of the yeah, next yeah, one because right, the right, entire right. sequence is so embedded in you. I really like that effect. Uh, it's true. Um, and I sometimes also think that uh, I need more technical language to describe this, uh, but, but two 
artistic units make an invisible third thing because yeah. of the way they are just sequenced next to each other. A fine example is the very end of Within, with, uh, Within You, Without You. And then the beginning of uh, When I'm 64, there's, uh, it, it, it goes from George's Eastern mysticism to Paul's homely yeah. clarinet, which might be the opening bar of a sitcom of a sitcom thing. Now that juxtaposition, it somehow makes a third thing. And doesn't it also have laughter in between? Mark's the expert on the Beatles. Doesn't oh, my word, my word, Well, uh, You've <laughs> out-experted me. Really? Before the beginning of when I'm 64. I, th- I thought there was in the laughter at the end of... There's laughter at the end of the George Harrison. There's laughter at the end of George Harrison, which is absolutely brilliant, which is, I always thought was really sweet because if you didn't like it at the time, and I must admit I didn't, I, I, yeah, I was yeah. too young to understand what it was about, I found it an me imposition. Too. But, uh, you know, you felt that George himself was shrugging at the end and going, I know, you know, just yeah, setting yeah. himself up and saying, you know, his old character kind of shone through rather than this... Uh, rather austere and serious uh, naval contemplating sitar player. It's one of the great gifts of maturity, isn't it? Just to be able to appreciate the within you, without yous of, uh, of music, of the world. Um, I think the same of, um, of uh, the great gig in the sky. Uh, it, it's both are tracks by, by the band's third creative force and often overlooked creative force uh, where they really excelled themselves and made this beautiful shimmering thing uh, because of the context they were in. Um, and it's great to be old enough to play within you without you and think, you know, you're really, really good and this would be a far lesser album without you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, the thing about the Beatles, you never take away any of the bits. Yeah, people always object to the White Album. They always say, oh, we'd make a better single al- single album and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. If you yeah. took away its excesses, well, its excesses are as much a part of the Beatles as anything else. You know, and it's the excesses that you discover later on and really appreciate later on. It's the really simple <laughs> things that would have made a single that, that, that have the initial appeal. You know, um, I think it's, 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 it's kind of... Uh, you know, happiness is a warm gun. You know, <laughs> I remember finding very difficult when I was a kid. I think it's just yeah. the greatest masterpiece now. It's the glorious. Complexity um, of the, the, the. I sit there in a pathetic, rather anal, blokey way, trying to work out what the time signatures are. It's just how do they even play it? I've no idea. It's astonishing. Um, I feel the same about Helter Skelter off the White Album. Uh, yeah. What a what a song. It's yeah. it's uh, uh, like um. Most of the best music, words fail me when I try to capture it in a net of words. I, 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 um, what you were just saying about excesses, David, it, it's, um, um, I, I sense a recurring theme here that might rear its head again later in this, the conversation as well, but there's something really novelistic about the White Album. Uh, novels also, uh, they not only forgive, but in some ways I think they even benefit from and rely upon bagginess, upon things where the plot drops, switches, pace, slows down, where essentially it's self-indulgent. Now, you have to find the balance. If there's too much of that, the novel becomes um, unreadable, but not enough of it, then it's somehow like a really well-honed TV screenplay in a textual form. the White Album is a fine example of a uh, um, of uh, it's, it's, it's this schmooshed grab bag of of influences of manifestations uh, just of stuff. Um, it, I think uh, many of the best novels you can say the same about that. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I, it's, it's interesting. With the White Album, it struck me recently. In terms of range, nobody before or since could boast anything like that range. There is no band anywhere or solo artist that can have that kind of range that they had in the White Album. It's absolutely astonishing. Yeah. The basses they touch there, you know, yeah. kind of cod cowboy music, radio light program, late night music, avant-garde electronic music, Chuck Berry knockoffs, you know. It's just extraordinary. There isn't any there isn't anybody like that. There hasn't been anybody like that since, has there? I don't think so. Uh, I can't think of much uh, that comes close. Um, they do silence. Um, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, I wasn't, I'm trying to stop the conversation. We'll, we'll ponder on that. Another favourite theme is, is, uh, is records that you can remember gr- uh, playing in your house when you were growing up. Can you remember, can you remember the, f- the records were playing? And can you remember the device that they were played on? Because you were born, I think, in six, was it 69? 69, yeah. Yeah, um, so in the early 70s, can you remember what was, what was on the record player? Did a little bit of preparation of this podcast, Mark, and had great fun just sifting through my memories. So first LP that I was aware of was um, was a spin-off of the, TV, uh, of the kids' TV programme, Play School, that he had an album called, oh, right, called right, right, right. Bang On A Drum, where, yeah. the, um, where the, the presenters recorded it with a sort of early 70s folk ensemble um and and i just had a play of it on youtube and uh, it's actually really good <laughs> so so that's bang on a drum uh then uh first single i bought with my old money wild west hero by elo uh, oh wow God. um not Very mr blue sky uh but yeah. uh, uh first um and first lp i asked for a birthday present because i didn't have the resources to acquire it myself would have been ELO's greatest hits. So right. how about you, Mark, David, what were your first? Um, oh God, my, my, I always singles. say mine uh, was uh, because I, and it's my way of hitting back a, against people who always choose something kind of edgy and life changing. Mm. They will say, Oh, it's sex pistols. And the key in the UK or it's the, the who substitute or whatever. Mine was when you come to the end of a lollipop, my Max. <laughs> Now, I wouldn't be telling you that if it weren't true. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I, thought, I think it's very, it, it, you know, I think it's quite interesting that, that your kids grow up with kids' music, generally yeah. speaking. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff they hear and family favourites or whatever is that kind of thing. But it's interesting you should say ELO because we've, when we've done quite a few of these uh, chats during lockdown, ELO has come up a lot of times. Enormously. Really? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Just, because partly because I think it's that kind of Beatles sensibility and the kind yeah. of the pop tunes that appeal to people who who are that young, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there's also probably a kind of yeah, a kind of light lightness of touch and a kind of novelty about it. My um, first, my first incidentally was Bernard Cribbins' Hole in the Ground. There he was. The same Fair thing. Enough. Same Fair thing. Enough. It's kind of like yeah. it's nothing cool. You know, yeah. I actually bought my own money. Um, ELO, fabulous. Um, <laughs> There's an underlying optimism and warmth there that's quite yeah. beatly as well, um, yeah. which Very which beatly. which makes them, or, or we might almost just to say him, uh, Jeff Lynne, it, it makes it easily mockable, but it also gives it a longevity because when will the need for optimism, when will the need for that kind of 
that the sense that there's more light and warmth in the universe than there is cold and nastiness. When will that hunger ever go? It won't. It's really really interesting because if you look at the musicians who get the kind of the most respect and the most awards and the most long newspaper articles written about them, they tend to be the chin-stroking, really serious ones Mm. who apparently, you know, try to convey their inner seriousness. Whereas actually, you know, it's people like ABBA in ELO and Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. The happiness is every bit as important to us as as plumbing our souls. Exactly the same as the film industry. How many Oscars are there for for, for comedy actors? You know, but how many more, how many for Daniel Day-Lewis doing something searing and challenging? I mean, it's just the way it is. People don't equate, people don't think of the value of happy music. Also, it's harder to write. It's much harder to write a happy song, I think. It's easy yeah. to mind the disasters of your own personal life. Um, yeah. it, it's it's so easy to form uh, to fall into the saccharine or superficial swamp. I think when you, I, I, I speak as a non-songwriter, but it could be awful really easily. Whereas I think if you're aiming for existential angst, you've got a far greater margin of error. Yes, that's uh, true. Yeah. Because if you, you get wrong, yeah. then you think it's just a part of the, kind of, wow, this is yes. kind of bad, but that's a point he's making. Kind of, yes. The universe yes. is a bad place. Whereas, yeah, um, yeah um, um, Abba, um, I, I, I think most of our memories of the 70s, uh, maybe especially if you're male, uh, are revolved around pretending you don't like Abba, pretending that kind of, um, um, uh, what's one, uh, the love, the, 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 the SOS. Yeah, yes. just, it, it's, it's got that sort of twee Baroque info, but my God, it's great. <laughs> it's, I only need to hear it once a year. That's enough. That's um, uh, too much sugar and you start to hear the enamel on your teeth begin to splinter <laughs> and fly <laughs> But but my God, it's crucial, isn't it? Just like the, just like your blood and your body just sometimes needs that injection of sweetness. Uh, I think this, I think the same is true for the human soul. And nothing gives you that sugar rush like Abba. No, no, certainly, certainly. No, it's funny you say about the seventies that um, you know we Mark and I often say that particularly boys. This seems to be a boys thing. Yeah. The boys with music, they use music as a way to position themselves. Yeah. They 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 yeah. tend not to tell you their genuine responses to things. They mm. work out whether it's the kind of thing they ought to like, and then they tell you whether they like it or. We were working in an office once, and I think you pointed this out, Dave. You noticed that, that blokes always said, "What's this music that was playing?" And then if it was something that they felt they should approve of, they go, "I like this." Yes. So yeah, yeah, and girls yeah. would just say, "This is good. I like this. What is it? What is <laughs> well, it?" They didn't um... care. You know. <laughs> That's uh, a major we, fundamental difference. We bring it upon ourselves because we will also punish misdemeanors. We will, uh, we will, we we form uh, the taste police that will come down really heavy and put the boot in on other boys who like the wrong music. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's kind of our fault, like oh, as usual. We have no oh, one but ourselves to blame. Oh, listen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, Mark and I have professionally benefited out of this over a long period of time about publishing magazines that were mainly bought by men. Yeah, because yeah. men needed to shore up their sense of of what they liked and needed to okay. argue about it. Yeah, needed to argue about it in yeah. a way that women very often didn't need to. They just liked yeah. it. Yeah. it's true. And on one hand, while I agree with you and. Uh, and 
denigrate maybe too strong but 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 kind of roll my eyeballs in a oh men sort of way at the same time wasn't it fun Great, those those conversations, those those those. You can't like this because of this, 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 and you can like this because of this, this, this. And well, that's rubbish. And well, no, you're rubbish. And no, you're. It's. uh, I I loved all of that. Who were the first bands that you went that you got bothered enough about to go and see? Okay, um, I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours, and I know the answers are going to be honest. So um, (laughs) uh, I'll start the ball rolling with drum roll. Bucks Fizz, Malvern Winter Gardens, Mar- around 1978. <laughs> How uncool is that? Excellent work. That's very, very good. good. Very good. Uh, um, I've got another one in reserve, but, uh, but I'd like one out of each of you before I go. Uh, there, well, mine, the genuine first gig was, uh, I mean, this is going to sound like I'm making it up. It was Chuck Berry and the Animals, you know. So, wow. And it, 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 that, was, that was the way it was. Uh, at Bradford uh, Alhambra, I think. Going. Wow! Um, what was that, that like? Well, it was like any gig in 1964. It was a package tour where everybody came on and did three numbers, and and it was under amplified, and you know it was unsatisfactory in loads of ways. But yeah. you were in a place where, oh my God, that's the animals. That's Nashville Teens. That's Carl Perkins. That's that's wow. Chuck Berry. And yeah. then there was a, there was another show later on that evening. You know, that's that's what those shows were like. But yeah. tell us, there was so Bugs Fizz. So 1978. So that's quite early for Bucks Fizz, isn't it? When did Bucks Fizz? Um, I wonder if I've um, misyeared myself there. Um, Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't uh, matter. They were playing the land of Maple Leaf. So um, I mean, if if, uh, if okay, it if, might be a bit later. Whatever. In my head, if we weren't zooming, early eighties, but it doesn't matter. Okay, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't um, matter at all. We don't. It's the Morven Winter Garden. It's the It was the Morven Winter Garden. I apologise for the misstyle on my TARDIS there. Uh, the next big one, and you're being very quiet here. Uh, Mark, so um, a couple of you in a moment, please. But then Marillion at Gloucester. Oh. Uh, oh, Gloucester. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. a nightclub on the script for a Jester's Tear tour. Yes. Uh, uh, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. It must have been the Fugazi tour because they played an early track from from the one after that was the uh, hit, Akali. Yeah, yeah, Akali. Yeah, right. So um, it's odd I'm... Ramping things a little bit earlier than they were. I, th- um, I think we need to add about three years to each of my years here. Yeah, but, that, uh, but that was number two. Mark, over to you. Uh, two well, early concerts. Well, as in my first, well, uh, the first thing, the first group I ever saw was the Baron Knights uh, on the back of a truck in a circus when I was, about, <laughs> I don't know, <coughs> nothing else about that. What did and, they play? Uh, uh, oh, they played a, 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 a they, they, they played an EP actually called Call Up the Group. Call Up the Group. If you really group. want to know, it was, uh, it was an impersonation to the Dave Park Clark Five, you know. Oh, wow. uh, boots and blisters. We'd been marching all night long. I can remember it very well. But that was exciting. no. The first actual gig was, uh, to, to my eternal shame, was 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 incredibly pretentious, which was the Soft Machine, supported by the Andy Roberts band. Oh, we don't have the, to be ashamed uh, of anything. I think. No, no, you know. I wish it was something a bit more, more, more kind of, uh, you know. It just seems a bit like I was trying really hard. But that was pretty good. Uh, it was great. Uh, aren't Soft Machine? Um, um, aren't Soft Machine a fine example of one of those bands that? were never in, so they've never actually, so they that, can never yeah. be out. That's true. I mean, that's uh, true. They were all on the verge of coming band. in, and they never did at all. Yeah, yeah that's true. So no one's got fed up with you it. Liked, you liked Marillion when Fish was the, uh, yeah. was the lead singer and so forth. Okay, very good. That's good. So more kind of more teenage things than you. So uh, late late teenage, what, what, what would have been... Uh, um, well, I, was a, <laughs> uh, I was a prog rock kid, and as David said... Um, 
uh, you find um, you sort of find a tribal affiliation as a uh, as a as a teenager when you're wondering who am I and what am I. You find answers to these questions in music, I think. So um, Rush, in a word, um, Rush would be the band that time has been kindest to. Um, I think moving pictures now is still it's a beautiful piece of work uh, and they made it okay to be bookish they made it okay to have a relatively high register vocabulary uh, yeah. uh, and 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 I think um, maybe for a future novelist as well the third time I've mentioned my profession but um, those prog rock albums were attempts at making novels in song. Um, look at Yes, um, shall we say it, Tales uh, of the Topographic yeah. Oceans. Um, I, I didn't really know what they were about, but I was drawn to the flow and to the... To the um, Complexity. The and, of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they were endlessly reinterpretable. <coughs> uh, sort of... Uh, I'm still wondering what they were about all these years yeah. later, to be honest. But the musicianship as well. Um, Bill Bruford, isn't it? Um, Bill Bruford, the drummer. drummer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, was he still there on top of Graphic Oceans? Probably or was it Alan White? Well, I didn't, Alan, uh, White I didn't Alan White okay. joined later. Alan White joined later. No, it's Bill Bruford. Yeah. Okay. Steve Howe, just Steve, uh, Steve astonishing Howe, guitarist. Chris Squire, uh, Rick Wakeman. Yeah, no, by then. Patrick Moran, probably. He'd gone. Yeah. Was it John Anderson. John Anderson. Here we are. We're going through the lineup. <laughs> yes. We can do that. <laughs> we can do that. We're among friends. It's It'll a be safe all right. space. <coughs> You're allowed to say that. We do. <laughs> we used to do that in school. We used to test each other. All right. From left to right, wishbone ash. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, and how very dull it must have been. Can, can <laughs> heat, can heat with their diminutives. That's what we all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Late teenage years, I went to California. Uh, not literally, but oh, musically. Right. Uh, so, so the Laurel Canyon bands from about ten years earlier, really. But um, Joni Mitchell and uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I loved Deja Vu album. Uh, right. Still do actually. Right. Uh, and uh, and and the, the lesser lights of that. Eva was um as well, but um uh it's um it seemed to have an authenticity and an honesty that maybe I wasn't finding in uh in prog rock double yeah. album magnus uh magnum opuses. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> How about you two? Well, they were about kind of, oh, that completely. I mean, it's interesting. Is it, a lot of it's timing, this, you know, because my, my kind of prog thing, my prog era was yes in mm-hmm. the early 70s, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Marks were probably, it was Soft Machine and so forth like that, isn't it, a bit later. Uh, but then I, I was big into kind of Californian Laurel Canyon singer-songwriters. Mm. Jackson Brown and, you know, Randy Newman and, uh, and Joni Mitchell and the Eagles and all that stuff. Mm. I loved it. And, and of course, what you got out of that music was also you got a lot of things that people subsequently got from other media, which is you got, you know, Joni Mitchell record wasn't just a record. It was a diary. It was this yeah. is this is who I've slept with in the last year. And this is what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and all these people. It fascinates me. You know, Lennox Cohen, Chris Christopherson, James Taylor, Carly Simon, Cat Stevens, Carly, uh, all these people. They all had affairs with each other, and they mm. all wrote songs about it. 
And they all mm-hmm. openly wrote songs and, about it. And told you. And hide it. Who it was that they were they <laughs> who the affair with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's so true. On um, uh, Tony Mitchell's Lady of the Canyon, there's actually three guys there. There's oh, yeah. Graham Nash, Graham David, Nash Crosby, David Crosby, Leonard Cohen, the priest. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, Are we uh, out-geeking Jane... each other here? I think no, we might I, be. I think yeah, you're probably fine. There's more yeah. of them there, you know. And, uh, I think it's probably a James when... song there too, isn't it? That, that was when she, that was the year. When at the end of the year, so it's 1970, isn't it? Oh, like, I know what you're going to say. Rolling Stone magazine elected her Old Lady of the Year. Oh, my Lord. Never my forgot, Lord. Never forgotten or forgiven. And I'm not surprised. <laughs> but it's a very different time. It was yeah, yeah. both, both, of, both uh, as a congratulation and as a, as a tremendous criticism simultaneously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very odd. Yeah. But yeah. there's something about America I've always thought that I, I, I went through a stage of buying into the whole concept of American culture to the expense of English culture completely. I listened to any dreadful rock and roll band from, from America. You know, I'd literally go to any <laughs> last vestige of the, you know, the Marshall Tucker band or the, you know, New Riders of the Purple, Purple Sage, whatever, while ignoring things that were going on on my own doorstep, while ignoring David Bowie, you know, which is absolutely ridiculous. That, that snobbery. I just thought America is better. I don't know why. There were different times. Um, yeah. And, 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 and it, it, it's it's strange to think of it now when we go to the states and we just see the uh, the crumbling infrastructure. But there was a time when America was the future. Uh, America and the future were virtual yeah. synonyms of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. But things change, don't they? Um, Wall. Um, no, it's going to say. Give, give us some of uh, some some uh, uh, idea of stuff that you've listened to this century. So what's uh, Anything that's made well, a, a um, huge impact. First decade of the century, I had two small uh, people to look after at home. So yeah. not a lot. Uh, I didn't go out much, didn't go to many gigs. Uh, I think went to no gigs for years, really. And and I got stuck in that middle age thing slightly where you stop exploring new music and you st- start turning into your dad and thinking well yeah this music that the kids are putting out these days it kind of it isn't as good as it was in my day you actually turn into your dad like that uh happily however um i was conscious of that and 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 tried to remedy it through things like um late junction it's a great uh program on radio three uh robert sandler uh, was the presenter back then wasn't he yeah um my uh my my rate my late junction there were two female presenters and uh the names would come back three seconds after we finished this interview yeah. and i'd be kicking myself uh but um that was really helpful and then in more recent um just in the a decade just gone it's really annoying that the English language doesn't give you a word for the first two decades of the centuries. So you have to say kind of the noughties or the 2010s oh, or something. Yeah, it's instead true, of really yeah. annoying. In, yeah, in any other language on earth, you can say if, it. But if only there was a war. Exactly. Flounder around and kind of give an explaining code. But uh, in that decade just gone, um, the 20 teens, uh, my daughter's been very helpful in in, in plugging me into what's happening in uh in the world and 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 some other friends as well but um uh i think for the first time in my life i got the point of edm 
that it's music oh, okay. for the body and not for the brain. Um, yeah. It's indirectly for the brain as well, but 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 the point is, I I, I just understood it for the first time. Wow, like, this is twenty years old, and I just, and, and 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 I spent two a decade just not knowing what it was about. Uh, a similar thing for rap. Um, I didn't well, just give get... us an example of the EDM you're talking about. Which 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 act do you listen to? Um, do you know Stavros? S-T-V-R-O-Z. I, I, I God, I uh, don't actually know. Uh, just after this uh, interview, uh, they've got a song, I think it's called The Finishing. And it's uh, it's about an eight-minute thing um, with a EDM background and a most sublime saxophone solo for the whole thing. Uh, uh, it's got a lyrics. It's just astonishing. It, it's like, where did you come from? Really? It, it, right. It's uh, and this sort of joy. Um, it's the, sort of the first time I've felt it since my twenties, hearing uh, this great new thing for the first time. This, oh gosh, yeah, music can do that as well. I'd forgotten it can have this endocrinological if, effect on you. It, it can kind of tweak hormones out of the parts of your body uh-huh. that emit hormones uh, and, <laughs> and and, and uh, or. or, or Adrenaline, or, graphically put, or yeah. dopamine. Uh, yes. it, 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 somehow these sound yeah. waves moving through the air, it, 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 it affects your body. Um, more recent decades, um, uh, Bonnie Vare, uh, he, he's he, he's a bit of a chin stroking act, I know, but but that second album of his, the self titled one, would you know that at all? Bonnie uh, Vare by Bonnie Vare. I, know, I know him, but I don't know him well enough to know which what the records are called. But uh, that's something else that's happened, isn't it? Um, the way music has fissipated, it's kind of splintered into many, many zones. When we were kids, you could know the contents oh, of yeah. every record shop in the country. Yeah. Because it you, was the oh, same. There could, weren't so many bands. Those days are so long gone now. Absolutely uh, gone. Yeah. Absolutely gone. People say to me, do you know what's going on? I say, nobody knows what's going yeah. on. There's yeah. too much going on for any one person to possibly keep track of it. It's so various nowadays. Whereas it used to be just defined, as you say, by the stuff that they had in the record shop, the stuff they had room for, kind of, you know, to, yeah. Yeah. to manufacture and distribute. And that nobody, nobody cares, you know, about chronological sequence of things at all. You know, my own kids, I can remember my kids asked me which came first, Nirvana or The Doors, you know, this being the American Nirvana, you know. And I was thinking, really? How, how do they well, not know that? But it doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Whatever sequence they discover them in. Of course, for our kids, uh, the 80s are what the 40s are to us. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, the long ago zone. Absolutely. Uh, and kind of, who cares which yeah. came first? I, I was, uh, you know, the Q magazine closed this week. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, I mean, as to oh. comment and, you know, I said, well, it's 34 years. And if you'd gone 34 years back from 1986, you would have been in the reign of King George VI. Whoa. You know, Whoa. It's astonishing, isn't it? It's astonishing. It gives you an idea of, I know. you know, whereas we tend to think the era of pop music is kind of all one thing. Yeah, yeah. Loads of different things, you know, in loads of different ways. Just one particular question about the era of pop music. Well, go back to the book just for a second. Why did you pick on 1967 as the year to to place your fictional band in? What was it about that particular time? It's an open goal, Mark. Uh, I I, I just couldn't resist it. Um, It's 
almost why wouldn't you? Uh, that th- there's th- there's the symbiosis of the counterculture and music, the way one informed the other, one was a message board for the other, uh, one was an exhibition space for the other, just that interface between music and happening culture was, was membraned thin. Maybe it wasn't even there, maybe they were interchangeable, and, and, and we read how um, um, you know, um, something would happen in California and Buffalo Springfield would write a song that uh, that night and it would be in the charts a week and a half later yeah, uh, yeah. That, 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 uh, that was um, attractive also the way something about that that magic window about 18 months maybe maybe inspired by the Beatles but you get three star acts um, suddenly producing four star albums with five star passages in them. Uh, uh, it, it's as if Sergeant Peppers and I know Roger Waters is on record as having said this, they, some radio station got a hold of the whole album, played it uninterruptedly. Uh, Pink Floyd were driving along in their van. They stopped, listened to it. And Roger Waters' response was, the bastards. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The one thing you, you, you forget is that, is that musicians are so competitive. Why wouldn't you be? You have to be. Yeah, yeah. You just uh, think, why didn't I think of that? Or I'm ruined, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, and, 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 and that competition can be a powerful and benign creative force. Uh, and, and, and it was just a magic harvest I think that lasted about eighteen months, where you get these stunning records from acts that never achieved those heights again. And also, the, the time when people actually thought the music was genuinely going to change the world, and, and everything was possible, and everything happens in fact. In your book, you know, the group kind of meet and they play a couple of gigs and they get signed and they they they, they they're on a, a television program fairly soon, and then they're touring America, and that did actually happen at yeah. that stage. Things yeah. happened at that at that speed. Really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it and and it didn't last long, which closed yeah. the window in which I could kind of have that plausibly happen to a band. Uh, if it yeah. was four years later, if I'd set the book in the early seventies, then 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 uh, the the trajectory could not have been plausibly that quick. Well, they I think also in the early seventies they started to be aware that they had careers and that they mm. could they could they lasted. Mm. Whereas in 1967, nobody, nobody thought 1968 was going to happen, let alone 1970. You know? there's, a, there's the famous clip about uh, the Beatles being asked just this very thing. So what will you be doing when it's all over? And Ringo mumbles something quite seriously about, well, I thought it could be useful to... It, might be an idea to own a chain of ladies' hairdressers. Yeah, it's right. Two, actually. It says two, doesn't two. it? Two. Oh, two. Yeah, two. <laughs> because Maureen, his girlfriend, wife, was a hairdresser. So he right. was, he, you know, the way he looked at it was the way that footballers in those days looked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll, have a career, to... I'll have a career playing for Arsenal or Spurs, and then I'll go and I'll open a sports shop or a pub. Yeah. And, and my local, yeah. my celebrity will be worth something locally. Yeah, you know that Ringo Starr's hairdressers in Liverpool would do quite well. What he never, what nobody ever dreamed of, was the extent of it. You know that the Ringo Starr is was he he'd been eighty recently? Has he? He's yeah, he was. Yeah, Ill. he's more famous now than he was then. Arguably. It's amazing, isn't it? 
Um, <laughs> and, that's right. To more people, that's true. More people. Yes, more people. Yeah. I know. All those kids, you know. And a fine example of how the future is truly uh, unforeseeable. If you can see it accurately, it's probably not the future. No, uh, absolutely. And yeah. and and. and um, uh, predictions and prophecies it's a complete mugs game it's, yeah. it's, it's essentially random unless you're David Bowie talking to Jeremy Paxman in, in about 1999 describing what the internet is doing to the world in 2020 which just makes me think he must have uh, come from uh, the future right. he uh, didn't, didn't did get he, it all 19, right though <laughs> in 1999 he was predicting what, the effect of the internet well, um, yeah. just um, um, in a part of my so-called research for this book uh, I, I of course it, it just legitimized what I do NOA which is to spend hours of my life trawling the murkier recesses of YouTube for interviews between uh, yeah. um, musicians I like or, or, or even musicians reason I don't to like. do it. yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah I should um just YouTube um David Bowie Jeremy Paxman and it comes up and uh, a rather sceptical Paxman is saying, but it's just another sort of phase, isn't it? It's just a new means of delivery. And um, Bowie intimates about how we haven't seen even the tip of the tip of the iceberg yet. And uh, no, then yeah. Paxman will never onto... catch on. No. <laughs> so... it's pa- Paxman well, is his tweediest. That would really bring out the old gentleman's <laughs> club in Paxman, wouldn't it? You know, um, uh, to be fair, he, he, um, he wasn't saying anything that's most of the rest of the oh, right. um, London intelligentsia uh, within the media wasn't saying then either. It, it, yeah. it, 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 it isn't really a story about Paxman's tweediness. It, it, it's much more about Bowie's sort of, how did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, um, we, we, we need to know, uh, hmm. uh, as we always now traditionally ask people uh, <coughs> in, these, in these events, about the, the, your, your recommendation for the greatest record ever made so have you got have you singled out one that you would uh, suggest that everyone should hear uh it is sir as you know an impossible <laughs> question uh because uh there are only greatest albums there isn't a greatest album but it is a game uh and and uh, uh it, it would be churlish of me as a guest on your podcast to not play the game so i will play it and i will nominate dark side of the moon wow okay. well wow, that's that's very good that's just because it's one of those things that you have gone back and played you know relentlessly and never got tired of and uh yeah uh it's, a, I know it's, it's an so unusual well. choice actually because i suppose really? it's, it's, it's well yeah, i know really it is because i suppose it's it's so obviously a really likable important record you know um, world changing record but really, suppose, really honest of you to go for. Uh, I suppose the the, um, the the question is really a test of the criteria that your various guests choose uh, use in order to choose. I think so. Uh, my criteria were uh, replayability. Uh, hundreds of times, I must have listened to it, um, and maybe a certain monolithic nature in terms of its importance to the musical landscape uh, since it casts a very, very long shadow uh, that has, uh, and, and, and its influences, I think, have uh, been as far reaching as uh, the famous first Velvet Underground uh, one with uh, Banana on the front, which is yeah. famous for having uh, a 
I don't know who was it who said it only sold about 300, but every single one of those three formed a band. Formed a band, right? Yes. Um, I think, uh, I, th- I suspect that um, if you could somehow trace the number of bands that were born as a result of Dark Side of the Moon, then, then it might be a comparable number. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting record, an interesting choice, actually, in the sense that I think it's very, obviously a very influential record because it was designed either consciously, consciously or not, as an experience. That you, you, know, you, you listen to it like you watch a film, pretty much. Mm. You know, that, that it starts with a heartbeat, doesn't it? You know, yeah. 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 It has all those techniques. It fades out with the voices going, you know, there is no dark side of the moon, they're all dark, all that kind of thing. They're very kind of filmic techniques, aren't they? And, and, and again, yeah. it was kind of, nobody ever said, I'm going to put on... No, you wouldn't play. I'm going to play clips or whatever it was. Absolutely. You sat down, played 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 45 minutes, absolute silence. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't have a chat. You know, I can remember the the days, you know, I used to go to my mate's place in Finsbury Park on Saturday evening. And Saturday evening, you know, entertainment in 1973 will be a bottle of cider or a bottle of Hirondelle, nasty Spanish wine. Oh, you uh, sophisticate to you. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'd lay back on a strip uh, on, a, on a scatter cushion and listen to Darts of the Moon and smoke, and nobody would talk. And at the end, people would go, amazing. <laughs> we were doing so you exactly the same uh, 16 years later at the University with Rush of Kent. Or whatever, probably. That's right. No, yeah, with, yeah. no, but with Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, with Dark Side of the Moon, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it, so, so, so maybe this is another criterion. How does it sound now? It's Still sounds brilliant. Uh, right. it, 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 it's, it, it hasn't really aged. Um, uh, it, I'm not it, sure it, there was ever really a discussion about it. You just all agreed that it was great and it went on to something else. You know. But isn't that music? Uh, it's, yeah. it, it, it's fundamentally um, indescribable. Otherwise, it wouldn't be music. It would just be words. Um, it, 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 it's proof of the pudding of the uh, variously attributed aphorism that writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Dancing about architecture. So is talking about music. Yeah. Now, it's enormous fun, and I love doing this, what we've been doing for the last, blimey, 49 minutes. Uh, but, um, but, but you never reach the end because it's music. If it was a yeah. book, maybe you could reach the end. Uh, but, 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 but it has no end. The music's there, and it's not made of the same stuff that a text or even a conversation is made of. It's one medium trying to describe or capture or enter the essence of the soul of another medium. And ah, I love that. Well, you've made a great success for it in the book. You tell oh, thank you. It's fantastic. And well, well, we hardly need to congratulate you because you've already been a Sunday Times number one bestseller, I believe. Oh, wow. Well. So, fantastic. Well, yeah. Thank you very much. But Thanks it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. And, well, same uh, here, Mark. Um, thank you so you too, much for David, I hope we can do it again one day. Be, that would be fun. It'd be really good fun. Lovely okay. to see you. Yeah. Same here. Goodbye. The best Bye. 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 This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.